So we're continuing then today with Isaiah. We thought for a few weeks about different uh, poems, different songs, as we've been thinking about it with Paul and Nick and Jean and myself saying different things about Isaiah. But today we're thinking about a really well-known chapter, Isaiah chapter 61. And it's probably something that you've read before, maybe read many times. And you think, yeah, that's, that's really optimistic and it's cheerful. There might have been a, a mix of emotions in previous, uh, previous chapters, but this one is definitely optimistic. If you're one of the uh, people that were, one of the Jews that were in Babylon, you'd have been thinking, yeah, what Isaiah said is just for me. We need someone who will take us back and who will love us and help us because Jerusalem and Babylon were about a thousand miles away from each other. And for some people, it might take, well, a good few weeks, a couple of months or more, if you had children and animals and things taking time. So it was a big journey going back to Jerusalem. And you wanted someone to lead you, to take you. You didn't want to be in captivity. Nowadays, we think of the early part of chapter 61 as a messianic prophecy. And that's what Jesus thought about it too. Because if you... Look at Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. We're going to read that in a few moments. You'll remember how Jesus spoke about it in Luke as well. Let's just read all of Isaiah 61, first of all. I'm going to read it from the NIV. So if you want to either follow it in your Bibles or just close your eyes or in another Bible, that's fine. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the place long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been uh, devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the prophets. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes a sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up 
before all nations. Whoa! That's so incredible, so encouraging, isn't it? And maybe when you're at home and you read it for yourself, you just... Well, there's that song, Tiptoe Through the Tulips. I want to tiptoe round the bedroom when I read things like that, because I have to read the Bible in my bedroom and just say, Lord, is that your word for today? It's not just Jesus being uh, sort of the Messiah and all that, but is it, Lord, is it, are you doing that in us today? Are you anointing us to take us forward? More of that a bit later, though. So, Luke talks about Jesus saying, yes, I've, I'm reading this, and uh, I am the Messiah, he's saying. And if you notice, you can turn to it if you want to. Luke chapter 4, there's so many brilliant things there. And in, when I look at it, because I, sometimes I look at it in the eye of devotional and think, oh yeah, I, I want that Lord in my life. I sort of think about that. And sometimes I look at a scripture and think, oh yes, if I was speaking on that chapter... I'd have these kind of headings. So if I was speaking on that chapter, which I'm not today, we'd sort of think about the three Fs. The people fastened their eyes on Jesus. It's a bit disconcerting sometimes, isn't it, when someone really looks at you and you think, what are they looking at me for? But people fastened, they fixed their eyes on Jesus. Fastened. Jesus was saying, yes, today, this is fulfilled. Because you might remember that Jesus was saying he's the anointed one because Messiah is Hebrew for, uh, for the anointed one. I've got it down here. The Lord has anointed me, uh, the one who is anointed or covered in oil. And Christ is the Greek word for the anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ... It's like we're giving him the name. But some people, cleverly, I think, say Christ Jesus. Because then that's giving Jesus the title of Christ, as well as saying Jesus. So the title, Christ, and then Jesus, rather than Jesus Christ. Sometimes I just wonder things. Do you ever wonder things like that in the Bible? Perhaps you're a bit like me and you think, is it Jesus Christ? Is it Christ Jesus? Does it make a difference? To me it does, and maybe to some of you as well. You look at it and you think... Oh, that's interesting how it's described sometimes. But the important thing is, Jesus is saying, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. But then Jesus goes on to say something that the people didn't like very much. Because they wanted the Messiah, but they didn't want to be sort of ruffled in their faith. They didn't want to be disturbed. They thought... Judaism was a certain way and yet Jesus was saying yes but so of course they fastened their eyes on him and Jesus said yes it's fulfilled but then he was saying some things that disturbed them and then they were furious that's the third F so they were furious about what Jesus was saying and they wanted to kill him you can read about it in Luke for yourself a bit later if you want to but they're the three F's I'd sort of be thinking about This Saturday, we've briefly mentioned it already, but we've got a time when we can be ruffled and disturbed by God as four different people in the church, leaders in a time of prayer, so we can measure ourselves against God's standard. At the moment, we've called it calibrate, because that is when we check and adjust ourselves against a given standard. Now, of course, we are not called that for long, forever, 
But just we sort of, when we do come on Saturday, we're measuring ourselves against God and against what he's saying. So this Saturday, we can come and listen to him through others, and then we can change ourselves and adjust what we're doing through what God is saying to us. Now, I've got a fairly old car, kind of quite a basic one, some people would say. But some people have what is called cruise control on their cars. Have you got cruise control on your car? I don't know what it means, really, apart from you kind of... Because I've never had a car which had it. Or might have had a higher car, but sometimes when it's a higher car, you don't mess around with buttons, do you? Because it might be an an ejector seat or something like that. So you don't mess with buttons that you don't know about, I've found. So I've never used cruise control. Have some of you used cruise control? Don't go into detail. Just tell us later. That will be fine. But I've found in life... There is no such thing as cruise control. We have to decide every day, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I have decided to follow Jesus, the song goes. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And maybe you remember that song, and that's our position every day. We can't just let the day go by and just say, yeah, okay, I'll give God 10 minutes today. Or, oh, it's a Sunday. I'll give him two hours. Every day, we need to be saying, I need to be saying, no turning back. I'm giving my all to you, God, today, because I don't want to just be willy-nilly with you. God, I want to give 100% of what I am, what I think, to you. Just as Jesus said, that each day, give us our daily bread, So each day we can say, Lord, help me follow you and help me do it with all my heart. We've had the three Ds already. How about uh, the three Fs already? How about four Ds? Discipleship demands daily diligence. If we're going to be a disciple, every day we need to be disciplined and say, Lord, today I'm going to follow you. I'm going to read your Bible listen to you, meet with others sometimes and say, Lord, you come first. It's not me. It's not my friends. It's not my family. Lord, how can I be a blessing to other people through knowing you? Because reading the Bible changes us, doesn't it? And this week, well, two weeks ago, I was reading something that I didn't want to read because reading the Bible it's easy sometimes to make you point the finger at someone else. Sometimes. This is what I read. If reading the Bible causes me to scrutinise others more than I scrutinise myself, then I am not reading the Bible correctly. Oh, sometimes I read something like that in a book and I think I've got to put this book down and just ponder on that a lot more. Because... It's easy to read a, a sentence and then just think, oh, I'll deal with that another day. But sometimes God says, why don't you deal with it now? Why don't you look to yourself now and not point the finger at anyone else? That's a hard one. It's a challenge, isn't it, sometimes, to read the Bible and to not just think, well, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. So that's just fine that I don't do it as well. 
But God calls us all as his disciples to give our all to him, to encourage others, but not just to take them as an example, but to be an example to others so that they'll be encouraged and run with perseverance as we read about in Hebrews. In verse 3 of uh, Isaiah chapter 61, it calls us oaks of righteousness. And I was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking, sometimes you see a little plant in your garden and how many years, if it's an oak tree or any other tree maybe, does it take to mature? Decades. Years and years. Sometimes if it's a smaller plant, it might take a lot of care and love and it will grow just like the ones around the building as, as well as those in your garden. You'll look at them and you'll say, oh, that's looking good. But often the big trees have taken decades or even hundreds of years to mature and look like the way that they're looking at the moment. And I read that and I think, yes, being a disciple, being a Christian, isn't something that you can just think about as a short-term thing. It's a long-term idea for growth, isn't it? We're not saying, yes, I'm going to change overnight. But God works on us slowly and surely. And sometimes we can say, Lord, keep on working on me because I really need that. Being slow to mature is a really good thing. Remember, Jesus spoke in parables a lot. And in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, Mark 4 and Luke 8, he talks about different uh, seeds and how they grow. And the one that had good soil grew and it had lots of fruit on it. And maybe it grew really large and continued to grow and continued to grow, just like God is calling us to do. Last week, when I was listening to it on the stick, because I listened to it on the stick before I put it on the website, I was listening to Nick talk a bit about grace. You're not going to be surprised. Today we're going to talk about grace again, because Isaiah is full of talking about grace. Isaiah 40 was grace. Isaiah 61 is grace. So I was thinking about the word grace. And that acrostic, maybe you heard of this as well years ago, God's riches at Christ's expense. So that's a really good one, isn't it? But how do we get God's grace into our lives? Then the first word that came to my mind was an explosion. Lord, I started praying, Lord, let there be an explosion of grace in my life. And I thought, hmm, maybe I need an explosion of life, of grace sometimes in my life. But that's a big thing, and our lives aren't always like that, are they? Where we can just go boom, and God does something amazing and brilliant and changes you overnight. So I thought of another word, a cascade. And I thought, Lord, today, will you give me a cascade of grace into my life? You can imagine, hopefully, oh, there it is. You can hopefully, a cascade of waterfalls going down and down and down. And then you can see what goes into my mind sometimes. I imagined some wine glasses arrayed and some one pouring wine into the top one and they're all flowing down as a cascade into all the other, uh, all the other glasses. 
all the other glasses going down. I was thinking, yes, Lord, will you cascade your grace and your love and your peace in my life, into all the nooks and the crannies that my life has, that my character has? And I thought I heard God say, yes, you need a cascade of grace in your life, John. And so I thought, brilliant, Lord, do it. And uh, maybe God's saying to all of us, I want to cascade grace into your life to flow where you're not always wanting things to flow, where there's perhaps things in your life where you're thinking, that says no entry on it, and I don't want God to look there. That's painful, that's difficult. But as we allow God not to be just an explosion of grace, but as we allow him to just cascade gently into our lives so we can say, Lord, thank you. You are doing something wonderful and long-lasting in our lives. Paul mentioned earlier that today is when we celebrate Pentecost. And I was imagining that the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, was like the explosion of grace on all those early disciples and how amazing things happened. But as we celebrate Pentecost, we don't have to just expect an explosion in our lives. We can expect a gentle cascade of God as well. We have a task to fulfill in Nuneaton, both individually and collectively. God is calling us to a task. And last week, Nick reminded what it was. He said, I'm calling you... Oh, no, that's interesting. Goodness gracious, sometimes things happen and they're in the right order. Oh, that's funny. Oh, there we are. This is what God's calling us to. Oh, has it changed? Oh. La, la, la. Oh. Can you go back to the Herald? It'll be easier. Can you just click on that, Alan? Because otherwise it might do funny things. There we are. This is what God's calling us to be. I'm not touching it. Honest. This is what God's calling us to be. Do you remember what it is? Yeah, what a triumph. Herald. So when I was listening on the stick last week, like Monday or Tuesday, and Nick said, God's calling us to be a herald, this is the picture that was in my mind. And I thought, yeah, because don't you, get, don't you go off at a tangent sometimes, or is it just me that goes off at a tangent sometimes? But the thing is, it's a triumph herald. And that made me think, hmm, made in Coventry as well, weren't they, the early ones? So I thought, yeah, that's good. But of course, God isn't calling us to be a car. It wasn't that herald, but it was this herald that God's calling us to be. So, you know I like you to humour me sometimes. Have you got your trumpet in your pocket? The answer is yes. Have you got your trumpet in your pocket? Oh, lovely. Can you get your trumpet out then? And we're going to be a herald for God. Okay, so one, two, three... Ta-da! Yeah, we're a herald for God because he is saying to us, this is from Isaiah 40, verse 9, Zion, remember, Nick was saying NCF, herald of good news, 
Go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem, herald of good news. Raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Jerusalem, here is your God. Make the news ring out, it says in the voice. And in the message it says, speak loud and clear. What are we meant to be saying? Here is your God. So God is calling us, as he cascades the grace in our lives, to be a herald and to say to other people loud and clear, Here is your God. That's a challenge. And again, it's one of those difficult things when you look at them and you sort of say to yourself, well, I'd rather not really. That's a bit difficult. But as God cascades his grace into our lives, so our thoughts and actions can change. And instead of being timid and, oh, I don't think so, like the disciples were in the upper room, We can be bold, resourceful, saying, yes, Lord, I'm going where you send me. I'm not just going to sit down and keep out of the way. Here's another question I'd like you to to answer. And you might know the answer because of a certain slide that went past earlier. Does anyone know, in Nuneaton, what happened 2,396 days ago? Oh, Paul, you are amazing. Thank you very much. 2,396 days ago, Jill and I got married. Now, I don't know if it's going to be the next one. Nope, so I'm going to go back. In fact, Helen, can you find that one as well? You know, the three pictures. That's one. Back again, back again, back again. That's the one. Right, there we are. So, didn't we look nice? We really dressed up. It was great. And most of you were there as well. 2,396 days ago. Of course, the next one, I was in Windsor yesterday, and so the person who isn't going to come and sing for us this Thursday, I saw, (laughs) drive past in a carriage with the Duke of Sussex as well, and there they were, they were just going past, and there's the Royal Standard on top of Windsor Castle, the Queen was at home, and I was thinking, Great, all these people got dressed up in their finery and on some websites there was pages and pages about their bling and their colours and all this, that and the other that I'm not so interested in. But they were talking about fashion and getting dressed up. Because we do, don't we? When is a wedding, we get dressed up. Verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of, right, of his righteousness. As a bridegroom, that was me. Do you remember the, how many days ago? 2,396, yeah. But it was great for me. I, I'll say it with a bit more fervor. Uh, so it was 2,396 days ago. That was me. And Jill was a bride adorned. If I went back, but I'm not going to because it seems to be going funny today. We had our best clothes on. That got me thinking. It made me think of the prodigal son. I sometimes think we shouldn't call it the prodigal son. This week when I was reading it, I was thinking, it's really the prodigal father. Prodigal is from a Latin word meaning wasteful, lavish, to consume or squander. And so we read about the prodigal father 
in Luke 15. The son came along, a bit like this, because that's his character, weren't it, at the time. And what did his father do? Lavished, even at the start. And then a few months, a year or two, or however many long time longer, he wasn't like this anymore, was he? He was... But his father saw him from a distance. And what did his father do? Straight away, he was the prodigal father. He ran to meet him. He ran along and sort of said, Son, you're home. Something struck me this week I've never thought of before. Bring the best robe. I don't think there was a wardrobe in his house which said, this, is, this room is for emergencies only. Emergency best robe I think the best robe was the prodigal father's I think he was saying my robe go and get it bring the best robe, my robe the one that's adorned and beautiful put it on my son he's back I love him take what's mine and give it to him I want to lavish my love on him again. I want to lavish gifts on him. Don't forget the, don't just get him a best robe. Bring a ring. Give us a feast. That's lavish, isn't it? He gave him his robe. It weren't some robe hung up in a wardrobe, a spare one. It was the father's robe. And that just reminds me about what it says here for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness we can look back yesterday or when you sort of sort of get dressed up for a night out or whatever it might be and think about the best clothes that you have but think about the father putting his robe of his righteousness on you his grace enveloping you this is one of my favourite coats and it's far too hot to wear it today really but I put it on and I think this is my father's robe God, God says to me when I wear this I love you, because this is Kenty cloth from Ghana, when my mum went over there. And it's like, this is special to me. My mum bought it from another continent because she loves me. But then I think of my father in heaven saying, put on this robe of righteousness, my righteousness in your life. And I think, Lord, what an explosion of grace, or what a cascade of grace there is because of what you've done for me. I really like my job title here, Minister in Training. And it's meant to be for three years. But let me tell you, in 10 years' time, I'll still be a Minister in Training. 20 years' time still be a minister in training. And I know that for a fact, because I've been teaching the piano for about 30 years. 
I'm still a teacher in training. Because every week or most days, really, someone will come along and say something I've not thought of before, and I'll just think another way of explaining it. So they get it and sort of learn a technique or learn a piece or whatever it might be. So I have to think on my feet a lot. I'm still a teacher in training. Just like my minister in training. It's brilliant. So I don't know, three years' time, whether I should put that in brackets, keep it there, or whatever. But in my heart, in 10 or 20 or 30 years' time, minister in training. Because this side of heaven, we don't take our L plates off as disciples, do we? We're always learning. Once we think we've arrived, that's disastrous. Because then we're far away from being where we should be, really, aren't we? God is calling us and is saying to us, be ready. Let your light shine. Now, I'm going to try and find this because it's all in a iggledy piggledy order. Yeah, blah, blah. Oh, there we go. Ah, next one it could be. A few weeks ago, I perhaps showed you this slide and we said, God doesn't offer a part-time vacancy for Lighthouse Keeper. And I thought about it a bit more over the last few days and I was thinking to myself, I'm so glad I don't work nights. Some of you have done that and do do it. I don't know how you do it. My body couldn't do that at all. I'm so glad God doesn't call me to work in the night. I like my peace and quiet and my sleep. And my body kind of gets a bit sort of weird if I stay up and do things like that. I can't do it. But when it's our most comfortable, it's easy to be a lighthouse keeper. But when it's dark, when it's night time, God is still calling us to let our light shine, to let his grace be seen in our lives, to let him be seen through what we say and do. How would you describe, here's another question, I don't mind you just giving me a bit of feedback, how would you describe God's grace? Give me a few adjectives about God's grace. Bountiful. Say again? Bountiful. Bountiful, right, lovely word. Endless, Endless. brilliant. Astonishing. Wow, astonishing, yeah. Would anyone in the centre like to say something? Unconditional. Great. Any more words? Yeah. Some more. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. How would you describe your grace to others? Say some more things out loud if you dare. It's often very different, isn't it? We can say God's grace is, and we can say all these beautiful, big words, superlatives, but then when we look at ourselves, how different is that? Jesus said, Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Jesus calls us to show grace to other people. 
freely receiving God's lavish, extravagant, unexpected, total, then I'll put some dots for the other words that you said. Grace should lead us to freely giving our own grace to others. And yet thinking about how perhaps we read the Bible about scrutinising others rather than scrutinising ourselves. Maybe we don't always show the grace and the love and the kindness that even non-Christians and like our neighbours are brilliant. They show me more grace than I show them sometimes. I'm still a disciple in training. I know today there's a few botanists here. So what I want you to do, if you're a sort of a good botanist, is to tell me the name, hopefully it's going to come, of this plant. What do you think? Clematis. That's what it is, exactly. Now, what do you think? What's it look like? Give us a few adjectives about this particular one. Is it stunning? Is it vibrant? Is it beautiful? Is it any of those words? Pretty, okay. Pretty? Yeah? Now, I looked this up because I don't know, I'm not a botanist myself. There are over 250 types of clematis. And it's taken from two Greek words meaning climbing plant. And it's obvious when you know that, isn't it? But an individual uh, flower like that looks all right. I could have brought one and shown you, but I didn't want to cut it off. Because the thing is, when they're together, that's the thing that's got a focal point in the garden. Like, there's our back of our garden, shed. Oh, yeah, it's practical. But look at that. What a focal point. How vibrant, how lovely. What a great impact it has. Because there's lots of little flowers all together blossoming or nearly blossoming at the same time. I thought of the church at that time. If one or two of us are shining and blossoming and looking great for God, that's all right. But it's perhaps like that. But as we all let God's grace cascade into our lives, so what happens? Nanita notices. People on Pallet Drive notices. People around notice that there's a group of people here that are vibrant, that are following God and want to know him. Of course, just very quickly, sometimes it's not just beautiful plants that grow in the garden. Can you see anything a bit of something we don't like? There's one word that sums ivy up to me, because all this lovely clematis, there's all ivy and weeds grown in different places that I need to get rid of. Scrutinising ourselves sometimes means we'll see the ivy, we'll see the weeds that shouldn't be there, and God's unconditional, beautiful, cascading grace can deal with it. And all we need to do on Pentecost Sunday is say, Lord, cascade in my life. Come and do something slowly and gently, or be an explosion and do something in my life. Last point. So I was in Windsor yesterday and there was all this bunting and balloons around, sort of kind of a a superficial kind of celebration in a way. But I think 
as we ask God to be to do a penetrating and all-encompassing work of grace in our lives, three things happen. God is glorified, we are stretched, and many other people are changed. And that's what the message of grace is about, that God will be glorified through us, that we'd be stretched, and that people around us will be changed because they see God in our lives and know that he's alive because of what we've been saying and doing. You might have noticed that over the last few weeks, there's a bit of a space out the front and some chairs there as well. And all therefore is, if in the future, not necessarily today, but you've heard God say something or you just need prayer in a service and you don't want to wait to the end, and you're just thinking, yeah, I want someone to pray for me. If you come and stand here, or go and sit on the chairs, someone's going to come and pray for you. It might be the person who led the intercessions earlier, or it might be Paul or Nick or me or someone. You're not just going to be on your own, but it's kind of a signal for people that will gather around you. And we don't even need to mention it. But if someone wants to come to the front and just to be prayed for, that's a brilliant place to experience the grace of God. So it's there today. It'll be there most weeks. So if any time during a service you think, yes, I want God's grace to be in my life and to cascade or explode, that would be a good place to, to go to. We're just going to finish with a prayer then, and then we'll worship God and respond to him as well. So Lord, we do thank you that you called us to be heralds of your grace in our lives, by talking and by actions, Lord. Lord, today... Will your grace cascade or explode, whatever you deem right, Lord, in our lives? We want you to be glorified. We want to recognise, Lord, that we're disciples in training still. Lord, thank you that you call us to keep on learning, keep on experiencing more of you. And Lord, we're so glad you don't just call us, change us a little, and then say, that'll do, now on to the next person. Lord, you love us so much. You want us to know you. And Lord, today we say, as the deer pants for the water, our soul longs for you. We want to know you more. So come and fill our lives again and come and love us and deal with us, Lord. We ask in your name. Amen.